Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, a podcast hosted by me, Lou, and me, Dan, where we talk about something in the news, something that interests us, something that we find funny. So before we get into this week's episode, um, how have you been? I've been all right. It's been a bit of a mixed week. So we've had COVID hit our houses again, haven't we? Yeah, unfortunately. But me and Dan so far dodging those bullets, dodging those those bits of virus like nobody's business can't touch us. Yeah, uh, you've got someone in your house, haven't you? And I've got someone in my house. uh, Yeah, managed to avoid it, which is brilliant. Been a bit of a, a nothingy week because of that, so... Yeah, and it is like it has just been the first week back, like after the new year, like festive period as well. And I feel like nobody's actually like in the mood to do anything properly productive yet. Like I feel like everybody, even in a work capacity, is still kind of like getting back into the swing of things. Because like personally, with me, like there's still like half of like the people that I know off of work because they've decided to take an extra week off. And I was like, well, it kind of feels like still empty. It feels like that weird period. Do you know in between um, Christmas and New Year where no one feels like they do anything productive? Yeah, and, and it's been grotty weather. Yeah, proper, proper crap weather. And it's also, I feel like everybody in the country is just in one of those moods because it's also like the longest period anybody goes without being paid, isn't it? You get paid early before Christmas. Oh, yes. And now yeah, we're into yeah. that January period. So people are waiting like six weeks for their pay packet rather than four as well. Because I can't remember what you call it, but the Monday before the end of January is like Blue Monday, isn't it? Because you get paid before Christmas, you spend more money than you should. And then after the Christmas period, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember the other thing that just put me on a downer this week. Obviously, when this goes out, it's a week later. But was the news of Viali, Gianluca Viali? Yeah, away. actually, really, that hit really me more sad than news. I thought. Yeah, yeah, very sad news. He had pancreatic cancer, and he actually got over it. Well, got over it, when I say get over it, I guess you can't. But he um, fought it once um, and seemed to be kind of in remission, um, and then it came back. Was it late last year? He was he was kind of taking. I believe so. Yeah, deal. yeah. But yeah, it was like kind of something, a story that kind of had, had kind of followed him around. He was only young because he was mid-50s, wasn't he? I think he was 58, which is no age. Yeah. He's one of those players that whoever he's played for, it doesn't matter because he just seemed like such a nice guy. Yeah. And yeah. So it doesn't matter if he played for your rivals. Yeah. yeah, he kind of like transcends the football tribalism. He's kind of like a Ronaldinho or like a Kaká kind of character. But yeah, like the, we saw sports because me and you talked about it. We saw Graham Sooners, who's like... For any um, Americans listening, who's a soccer player, who's a notorious hard ass, and um, break down in interview when he was talking about him as well, which is a strange thing to see out of Graham Sooners as well. And, you know, testament testament to the man that was Viali. And he refused to talk about the football side of things with him, didn't he? Yeah. He said, "I want to talk about the man," which is interesting because, yeah, often it boils down to a career somebody has had in sport. Yeah. And he wanted to focus on him as a person, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the quite nice thing, because, I mean, we've also had... Uh, do you know what it is? I know that we're going off on, like, a huge tangent now, but we've had a lot of sports stars, because Pele was just before the New Year. Yeah. Which is a huge one, obviously. I think they had National Morning. They actually had him lying in state, didn't they, for, I think, was it 24, did, 48 yeah. hours? Huge, huge name. It kind of feels like, with Pele's death as well, that last generation of, do you know, like, the football legend icons from, like, that... Yeah original period where it was just getting on television is kind of all gone now got a kind of a couple of that 66 england winning team like the franz beckenbauers of the world but yeah that was also a, a particularly sad story we're not kicking this episode off to a particularly no, light-hearted no. <laughs> anything else in your week anything to call out no no nothing really to be honest with you again it was just very very slow it kind of still feels like i'm stuck in 2022 to be honest because like 
everything's just been been moving at like a snail's pace. But it's a new week at some point. After, I don't know when people are hearing this. It's a new week, but last week, if you're hearing this now. We're recording this on the 8th of January, so we're well into January. So Yeah, this is true. We're actually a third of the way through Jan, so I'm sitting there, mm, yeah, maybe it should be moving a little bit quicker. Right, yes, but this new, episode. New week, new episode, yeah. <laughs> we'll tease it and then hear from some of our friends. So this week, we are looking at product fails. Now, product fails, I think, to me, in terms of the way that we briefed it, was just going to be something that was like products that absolutely flopped. Yeah. Now, just before we get into our episode, we've got a message from our friends at the Fuck My Work Life podcast, who you'll hear from now. Is work getting you down? Or do you love your job, but want to hear all about the other 98% of the population who don't? Then hop on over to your favorite podcast app and give the Fuck My Work Life podcast a listen. Each week, J&K bring you a variety of workplace stories that will have you laughing even on your worst day. That's the Fuck My Work Life podcast. And we're back. I'm sure Dan's going to be really angry with me because we did like the ad in the wrong place and I've turned around and put it <laughs> after we've had our chat rather than before. However... <laughs> no, 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 that's no, that's a perfect place. Perfect place. No, all I was going to say was before we start, can I just quickly read something? So, you know, last week's episode, we were talking about marketing fails and then we kind of briefly touched on twitter accounts of companies and how they do cheeky ones did you see so today again going back to football it's the fa cup in in england (laughs) and you see stevenage beat aston villa so for the context stevenage i think are they league two so they're like four divisions below yeah they are the fourth division yeah yeah mind you this was when stevenage were losing so stevenage beat aston villa so it's you know they've been taken out the glow and uh there was a substitution it said um did you see this one I did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Philip Coutinho comes off. The substitution took longer than usual as I had to dig him out of Luther James Walden's back pocket. So so well done. Well done, Steve Nijbara Twitter team there. It is amazing. And you know what? I think that that, this is the thing, I think, for context, I think they were 56 places lower than Aston Villa in the British Football League, which is a huge, giant killing in reality. It's like players that are making like... An, a normal salary of like four or five hundred quid a week playing football, beating a hundred thousand pound a week footballers like Felipe Coutinho transferred for a hundred and thirty million pounds to Barcelona like five years ago. It's kind of like if the year sevens beat the year elevens at football at school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the but I guess I was, I was going to say that's a victory there, but we could say from the Villa fail over to product fail. So I'll get us back on track. <laughs> Sorry, there you go. Yes, so product fails. I guess this kind of like is an episode that is maybe a little bit kind of linked to episodes that we've done previously with like either marketing fails. We talked about ad fails, didn't we? And that sort of thing previously. But this has got to be more so focused on products that just absolutely flopped or inventions or ideas that came out and there was just no need for them. Or potentially they came out at the wrong time for a couple of mine, I think. Or maybe then inspired things that came out. They were maybe too good for the time in which they were they were kind of put to market. Yeah, exactly. There's so in mine I've got a couple absolutely that flopped. But there's one I've actually deleted it, but I'll give it an honorary mention. It came out ahead of its time and I think that's why it failed yeah yeah I agree so I've got a couple that I can kind of personally relate to because I've either had this kind of technology and or product and then I've got a couple that are a bit before my time but definitely in your time frame (laughs) that you might personally remember but just kind of big stories anyway so I'm gonna kick it off with what is just a general product that a load of manufacturers released 
Now, I've actually got one in my room at the moment, and that's a 3D television. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. So, if you remember, it's 2010, right? And <laughs> well the done. new well technology... Because obviously, you know, television companies, there's only so much that you can do. Once you've made a television 75 fucking inches, there's only so much technology that you can advance. It's a little bit like, I think in a podcast episode, we talked about the evolution of cars and how cars haven't really changed very much in 20 years. They're just putting more shit in them. Yeah, like razor blades just sticking up yeah, a blade yeah. in it. <laughs> like, what, yeah, this is what I mean. Like, what the fuck? Why do I need like sunglasses holder in my car all of a sudden? Why is that some sort of redeeming feature that I was gonna put, I'm going to put my car for? <laughs> So anyway, I think television companies all sat down in 2010 and thought, fuck, what can we do? What can we do? Why do people go out? What kind of area of the market can we capture? 3D. People go to the cinema to watch 3D, don't they? They put those blue and red glasses on you. You sit down, you pay 12 quid for your popcorn. What if we gave people the cinema experience at home? So my parents bought into this, (laughs) which is why we ended up having a 3D TV. And it could supposedly turn things 3D as well. So even if the program that you were watching wasn't 3D, you wanted to watch EastEnders so that yeah. Pat Butcher was in your living room. <laughs> you could make it 3D, but it was horrific. You had to wear what was like these electronic glasses as well. So they weren't the standard ones that you used to get at cinemas, but they weren't like standard 3D glasses. They came with like batteries and battery powered, didn't they? There was two types, I think, of 3D. There was the ones that you're talking about, but there was one, but I think that was less common, like the one at the cinema where they didn't have anything in. It was yeah. dependent on what you saw. But yeah, the majority, I think, had they were flickering all the time. Yeah, yeah, they were. And I think the intention was to reduce like the strain on your eyes because if you're watching something with just... Because I guess if you're sat down in a cinema for an hour and a half, it doesn't really matter whether or not you're straining because the cinemas are dark anyway. It always kind of feels like your eyes are a little bit... um out of a bit of a rough ride when you come out of a cinema anyway. But I think the intention was to basically reduce the stress on your eyes because again in actual fact this is linking something i didn't even have to remember the um, nintendo 3ds like yes, people yeah, complained yeah. of like literally yeah. being sick yeah. and vomiting whilst they used it because they were using like the 3d function it was just making you like cross-eyed and so that was the intention but the glasses were awkward people that used to go to the cinema so basically i don't know what percentage of the country wears glasses but dan wears glasses Right, yep, you wear glasses. Yeah. Everyone else in my household That's wears glasses. Fifty percent of this podcast does. Fifty percent of this podcast, <laughs> and in reality, when you think about the family that we met at New Year, I think everyone <laughs> but me wears glasses. That's true, actually. Yeah. So I'm about to be that statistic, unfortunately, at some point in my life. But they're horrifically awkward for people that wear glasses because you can't put them over your glasses. You need to put batteries in them, and then also the 3D effect was utterly shit unless you were just watching something in 3D anyway. But then. Yeah. You had to pay to have the film that was put in 3D additionally anyway. So why wouldn't you just go to the cinema? So it was basically a piece of technology that when people came round, we'd tell them, oh, put these glasses on. We can watch something in 3D. It'd be on for 10 minutes and then it'd be put down. I've still actually got the glasses in a box just in case. It's never been used since 2010. And again, I don't see this feature really on televisions anymore. And it's definitely not something that's advertised. But for a period, there was like commercials on TV. They were like, 3D TV is the future, and it's people sitting in their living rooms with, like, dragons jumping out of them. But it was just a piss-poor fail of an idea because nobody wanted that experience at home. I have to say, this is absolutely a stellar choice, and I hadn't even thought about this because you're right. 3D was the big buzz in TV, wasn't it, for a long time in televisions. Now, we had one. We didn't go out to get one, but we had to replace one, and it had 3D in it. And I thought, well, we've got 3D in it now. 
get myself a 3D Blu-ray player. And, uh, you know, because I was thinking I was just going to buy everything. But then, yep, like you said, you've got to buy the glasses each. <laughs> you've got to have the, the batteries. I bought, I can't remember which one it was. It was either, I, I don't know if it was Interstellar or Gravity. I watched the first five minutes. I went, ooh, look at that. And then didn't watch it. <laughs> And I remember when people came round, I would make them watch it, you know, the, the the opening. And that was it. And yeah, it really did go away quite quickly, didn't it, in terms of the buzz? Yeah. Can you even get it now? I don't know. No. So basically, tele- 3D televisions are basically just a fad now, and they were a fad probably eight years ago. So DirecTV um, stopped broadcasting. So that's an American like pro- programming like distributor or like a broadcaster. Stopped broadcasting 3D in 2012. ESPN stopped in 2013. Now, bear in mind, they only came out in like 2010 yeah, as, as a long. proper like mainstream thing. ESPN stopped broadcasting in 2013. In the UK, Sky moved its content to on demand and BBC ended airing, three, ended airing 3D shows in 2013 due to a lack of public appetite. And then um, fewer and fewer 3D TVs were being made. So Vizio stopped production in 2014. Um, and then Sony and LG stopped all 3D support in January 2017. So it was actually a really, really quick death. Because I just think at home, like you said, those glasses, and I think they did. I know you said they were supposed to reduce strain, but I just don't think they were good for you. You know, because no. I think they were flickering, if you know what I mean. And yeah, just on your home TV, in a cinema, it's different. Now, even I've kind of stopped. Well, I haven't gone to the cinema for ages, to be honest. Even at the cinema, I tend not to. I did look at, go to see a lot of 3D shows, but even those now I don't tend to do anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they are just a little bit inconvenient as well. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking back to it, the things that were broadcast in 3D were things that just wouldn't look good in 3D anyway. So there was like broadcasting football matches in 3D. What the fuck? Do I want to watch football in 3D? When they spill. When they spill, where like shit's blowing up. I don't want to see football like being punted out, rose Z, and all of a sudden I feel like the ball's in my fucking living room. Like, what a <laughs> crap idea. Why were they not turning around and being like, oh, we're going to turn this film 3D and put this on the film channels? Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't want Wayne what... Rooney running at me. <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> yeah, I don't want Wayne Rooney in my fucking living room. Like, I can't think of anything worse. But yeah, so that's the thing. Like linking to what you'd said, a lot of people just didn't get on with it because people complained of headaches, seizures, and eye strain. And there were actually warnings that were issued for people that were elderly because obviously it did a lot of damage to your eyes and that sort of thing. And obviously, three D presentations and TV basically just more easily induced things like motion sickness. So I had car sickness, so I could never look at like three D again. Three D's never been a thing for me, even going to the cinema. It's just not something I've particularly been interested in but as well apparently approximately 12 percent of people are unable to properly see 3d images owing to a variety of medical conditions so we actually know one of them because my grandfather has only got one eye which means he can't perceive 3d can he so this is the thing what you've done is the manufacturers just immediately turned around and alienated 12 percent of the market and then it says up to 30% of people have weak stereoscopic vision preventing depth perception based on stereo disparity. So it nullifies the effects of 3D. So that's another 30% of the market. So at the minute, we're at 42% of people who can't use the technology to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it was just a really crap fad. I remember it being really like the, the thing, oh my God, everything's going to be was, 3D in was, the future. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like, there's going to be televisions all over your, ro- your, your room and you're going to see like things in your house and that was like what it was being perceived like that was like our our back to the future hoverboard moment and lo and behold four years later it was all in the pan (laughs) it's funny that it didn't take off though because on paper you could see i don't blame them for trying it because you can actually see it 
being something that maybe you think people want. Yeah. Now it's it gone the other way. Now it's just about the screen, isn't it? It was um, HD, then it was Super HD, then it was Ultra HD, then it's 4K, and now it's 8K, no, and 8K. now it's all ha- <laughs> HDR lighting and stuff like that. And it's all about Atmos And now it's about throwing all the buzzwords into it. Yeah. So when someone comes around, oh, yeah, my TV, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ultra HD, Super, you know, Super 8K, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Atmos Digital, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Could I watch Tottenham lose on it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I'm like, why do I want to be more depressed than be in the stadium while Tottenham get fucking slammed? <laughs> but yeah, so to me, I just, I, I just, uh, yeah, I thought it was. It I was, think that's it a was, great, great opening. Yeah. It could have been a good concept because again, like there was a fad with 3D in cinema, but it just wasn't a technology that people wanted to bring into the home. Because again, the nature of people going to see 3D, if 3D was popular, all cinema screens would have been charging you extra and just putting all of their films in 3D, wouldn't they? but they didn't yeah. for a reason. It's unfortunate that Sony, LG and Samsung didn't get the fucking memo. <laughs> I mean, my last thing on this is, but it's something you said is very true. And it rings true even for films at the cinema. If they convert it into 3D, yeah, you can see it as 3D, but it has to be filmed in 3D to be really good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's what I think the problem with the, the eye strain was, because the images were like artificial. So actually what they were doing is literally just like duplicating the images and layering them over the top of each other. So that yeah. if you took your glasses off, it was just like you were, do you know, like when you do like cross your eyes and you can kind of yeah, see double, yeah. that's just what the TV yeah. looked like. So again, it was, yeah, it was just, it was very, very strange, but glad that it's a fad that died. If you've still got a 3D TV and enjoy it, let us know. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you do watch it, you know what? When I get off this podcast, I'm going to put something on the 3D and see if the 3D function still works. I'm going to go get a watch battery and put it in the glasses and I'm going to see just how shit it is and I'm going to turn around and then maybe we could tweet out or something. <laughs> You're going to get a message saying, uh, warning, please check you are not in 2010 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's just going to turn on. It's going to be like, apologies, all support for this function has been removed. <laughs> or someone in the Samsung like office somewhere is going, yes, they've, they've activated 3D quick. <laughs> like, oh my God, there's someone there. <laughs> Divert all 3D-ness down to that house. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, amazing, amazing. Yeah, that was that was my first one, 3D TV. What, what have you got to throw at me? My first one is one I remember. Have you heard of the Gizmondo? The name rings a bell, but not something that I could picture off the top of my head. Gizmondo was going to be the next kind of like handheld gaming system, right? Right, okay. It was really quite highly anticipated because it was supposed to have this brilliant sort of feature set and it was aiming to compete against Nintendo and Sony, right? However, with fewer than 25,000 units sold, the Gizmondo was named by GamePro as the worst selling handheld, handheld console in history. (laughs) right but there's a story the reason i chose this is there's just such a story behind this right and and we'll go into it shortly right firstly there was a lot of hype around this it actually started out with its origins in the sower murders here in the uk so do you remember the i think oh yeah yeah. two girls so this was in 2002 a swedish entrepreneur named carl freer had been shocked by the sower murders so started to think about what's the best way to integrate gps technology into a child tracker and he thought well you can create a child tracker but then you've got to get the kid to carry it right yeah. so he thought what's the best way to do that and he goes well you make it fun you make it gaming and so he thought create a, a handheld right that was going to be a child tracking gps that's how they were marketing it as it arrived in 2005 with a lavish launch party 
And this is what I'm saying to you, how at the time this was a legit product. It was a, a launch party that featured performances by Buster Rhymes, Pharrell and Sting. And British Formula One driver <laughs> Jensen Button appeared on adverts for it because he was going to have his own licensed video game for the device, although it never came out. So highly anticipated handheld gaming console go up against Nintendo and Sony, Buster Rhymes, Pharrell Sting, Jensen Button. So what could possibly go... <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? So they said it did have groundbreaking features, such as its ability to operate as an all-in-one camera, SMS gaming device, two years before the iPhone's launch. So far, so good. But on the other hand, it had none of the infrastructure around it. Anyway, we're now going to start getting into why, not just a flop, but why it was uh, quite a magnificent one around it. So it launched with only one game, which is unusual, obviously, for a console. So people started asking questions about how Tiger Telematics company were raising money and who was making the games. In October 2005, a Swedish newspaper did some digging. Deeply embedded in the Tiger Telematics hierarchy was Stefan Eriksson. He was a convicted leader of the Swedish Uppsala Mafia, <laughs> along with his former criminal lieutenants. Ericsson had been jailed for six years for a series of violent crimes that culminated in an attempt to defraud 22 million kroner from a Swedish bank. Furthermore, Tiger Telematics were paying millions of dollars to a development studio, Northern Lights, to produce Gizmondo Games. However, it was soon revealed that Northern Lights owners were none other than Carl Fritt and Stefan Ericsson. <laughs> After this article came out, both of them resigned their positions. However, the company wasn't done yet. Tiger Telematics are already promoting a widescreen version of the Gizmondo and there were rumours regarding talks with Microsoft to produce an Xbox branded version. However, <laughs> all that, <laughs> this is the line here though, however, all of that ended on a stretch of the Pacific Coast Highway with the destruction of a rare Ferrari Enzo. Right. Ericsson was found in February 2006 by the California Highway Patrol standing next to a Ferrari Enzo that had been sheared in half after hitting a power pole at 190 miles per hour. Further investigation revealed that the car had been leased from the Royal Bank of Scotland by Ericsson, but he stopped making payments, effectively making the car stolen. Ericsson was charged with grand theft auto and served two years in a California prison before being deported to face more charges in Sweden. <laughs> the scandal was the end of the road. European financial investigators found that Tiger Telematics had sustained net losses aggregated $382.5 in 45 months. And the Gizmondo was relegated to a sensational footnote in video game history. Now, in the UK, it launched on 90th of March, priced at £229. That's, that is a big price tag, that yeah. is. And they basically had flagship stores in Regent Street. And you could also buy it through high street stores, supposedly like Argus Dixon's Courage John Lewis, although it was never clear how many units were sold in those channels. In the US, it launched later in, sorry, 22nd of October. The retail price there was $400 for a unit without smart ads or $229 for a smart ad able device. And just two final things on it before we just generally talk about it. The Gizmondo launched in the UK with only one game, Trailblazer. The console launched in the US with a lineup of eight titles. A further 30 titles were known to have been developed for the system, but all were cancelled before their release due to the bankruptcy. <laughs> Jesus. It does have one claim to fame. A reference to the Gizmondo is made in the British movie Goal. Have you seen that? I've never seen it. It's that like shitty produced football <laughs> yeah. film, isn't it? <laughs> when a meeting takes place in the Gizmondo store. So I think that's probably what sealed its fate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I chose that more for the story around it. But yeah, basically just trying to say it was this really big hyped console, handheld console. 
that just sold literally a handful. But it was all the scandal then behind it that basically, I think, forced it into that failure. Um, can I just say, just in that last minute, I wanted to see whether or not we could turn around and buy a Gizmondo. And they are on like the second hand market for like 250, 300 quid still. <laughs> it's probably good if you want a bit it's of gaming history. No, I just love the fact that the story behind the failure really comes from like scandal, theft, corruption. Like, <laughs> and this is the thing I remember it at the time. So I remember the thing about the mafia, and especially the the story about the crashed Ferrari stands out. So that, that's exactly it. I mean, even the beginning, what I didn't know until I was researching this was that it, it initially wanted to be started out as a child GPS tracker. So you've got it, it's got such a an interesting origin from the Sower murders here. But then, yeah, you, the, the mafia, yeah, mafia convictions, fraud. And yeah, ultimately, what a terrible loss of a Ferrari being destroyed. Yeah, Enzo's a super rare as well. Um, can I just <laughs> say, do you think it started off, the idea started off as the intention to be a scam? Because it feels like that, you know, you said that there were celebrities and that sort of thing. They had flagship stores, failed to pay on things like the ferrari which i imagine would have extended to other things do you feel like it was almost like do you know like what is the modern day the modern day equivalent of like a crypto pump and dump scheme where like you build something up you sell something that's shit for a huge premium and then you disappear anyway except they just didn't even get to the point where they get to sell them <laughs> possibly possibly i mean the fact that the the games were being made by a company owned by them anyway well, yes, it was a scam. Short answer, yes. But I think they were trying to do it as a legitimate product. Maybe they just didn't know enough. Maybe they weren't experienced enough or, or it got ahead of them, if you know what I mean. I don't think... Yeah. Because there were like 30 to 60 games being planned. They probably wanted to get that out. I think it was just the fact that that article came out about them being linked to the the, the Swedish Mafia. Yeah. That yeah. was then game over. So Gizmondo and Tiger Telematics, when you had Gizmondo stores, did they literally just sell the Gizmondo and the games and that's it? I believe so, but I think it would have just been the console because there weren't any games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 You're right. But it literally just been consoles and they're like, oh, uh, do I get a free game? No, there are no games. You can just look at the main menu. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the, yeah, yeah. That's the balls they had to have as well if they were doing a scam because, like I said, they've got all these celebrities involved and like all the gaming media involved as well so they took a huge risk if that was their aim yeah yeah uh, do you know what i sorry i feel like a lot of the technology ones are going to come from that early 2000s period where people were creating tech that they thought was a great idea and like do you know it was like a period of time where like the internet was just very accessible at the, the tips of your fingers and that sort of thing i yeah. feel like this age has kind of produced the biggest shit houses when it comes to technology <laughs> Well, it's funny. My next one, when when I get to it, is from the early two thousands, and that definitely fits them more. So this one is a product fail. It was it was it was said as one of the worst the worst selling handheld console in history. But like I said, I chose it more because of the story behind it. But the the next few things I've got are definitely more of a yeah definitely <laughs> fail. That one's amazing. I just love the fact that mafia were involved. In you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And can I just say, um, he turned up with the Ferrari and he was found next to it, but he had didn't have a scratch on him. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Like he's literally so. sheared a Ferrari yeah. in half yeah, at 190 yeah. miles yeah. an hour. He's got out and been like, oh, fuck, I'm in trouble for this one. <laughs> and only one game for it. So if you've got it, let us know. That game hopefully was bloody good. 
Yeah, again, similarly to the 3D TVs, if you are playing on your Gizmondo and listening to Casting Views at the same time on your iPod Nano from 2008, um, do let us know. (laughs) (laughs) So, as you went on to a handheld, I feel like I'm going to slide my handheld in here. Now, I talked about the 3DS very briefly, and I kind of thought while I was saying it that I probably should have had that in here. However, I think this handheld is a little bit shitter than the 3DS was. So... (laughs) This is an iteration of a portable console that came out because the original was actually wildly successful. And this is the PSP Go. Okay, okay. So the original PSP came out in a variety of models. I think they were branded like the 1000, 2000. I had an original one, one of the 1000s. Yeah, I had, I think I had the 1000 as well, yeah. Yeah, and it had those like little discs that were basically just like mini discs that came in that like UMD, white plastic. Card. I think UMDs. They it. That's, that's <laughs> the one. That's what it was. It was a bloody good console. It was bloody good. It was it was amazing. It was like the first time where you felt like you genuinely got like gaming console quality on a handheld a handheld console. Because you had stuff like the Game Boy before, but it was like that pixelated screen and that sort of thing. But the PSP was actually brilliant. And the game selection was basically just like PlayStation console level games on the PSP. And looking at the original release dates, I didn't realise it came out as early as 2004, which is crazy wow. to me because I feel like I was a lot older when I first owned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the reason I bring up the PSP Go and the reason at the beginning of this episode I said that I relate to a couple of them is because I also owned a PSP Go and it was shit. Really? Um, and I, that's because... I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah, so the PSP Go came out in 2009. So I had an original one. The PSP Go came out in 2009 and it released and it had no facility to put physical discs in that's right yeah so it was yep. download only so basically if you had a playstation account so this came out after the release of the playstation 3 so you you had all your online playstations accounts you logged onto your playstation account and could basically just download games onto the console it was a little yeah. bit smaller than the original psp um and it had a rechargeable battery because i don't know if you ever remember but the original psps like had a battery slot that you could take out and replace it with a new one and then memory card slots and all of that sort of thing you could actually put a sim card i think in them as well to get like online connectivity at one point but the psp didn't have any of that it was basically just like a self-contained device you couldn't put anything in and it had i think 16 gigabytes of internal memory that could be extended and you had like little remember those like little tiny memory cards that you yeah. could put in your psp <laughs> yeah. for like extra yeah. additional storage but obviously you had to buy one with a psp go because you had to download games now the problem with it was that it released at 250 dollars now the playstation 3 when it came out what did the playstation 3 come out at do you reckon I'm going to say three three fifty. It came out at three hundred. Yeah, so you, bang on. It came out three. So the PSP Go was only fifty dollars less expensive than the PlayStation Three console, that original fat console. <laughs> so obviously, to begin with, the price point was absolutely mental. They actually did ultimately drop the price to one ninety nine. Didn't change sales at all. Then they began bundling it. So I got a bundled one because I got ten free Aye. games. So not only did they drop the price to one nine nine, they also gave you ten free downloadable games. And games were expensive. They still are expensive downloads unless you get them on sale. But the games were like full retail price games, yeah, but only yeah. for download. So they were giving you the equivalent of what what was a game at the time, maybe forty pounds a pop. I think 35, 40 pounds a pop at the Easy. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're basically giving you the equivalent of like four hundred pound worth of free download to your PSP in order to sell them. It was horrifically unsuccessful. They turned around and basically ceased production of the PSP Go in April 2011. So it was discontinued outside of North America. So it had only been released in 
2009, right? And then it was then discounted, discontinued, two sorry, years, yeah. in two two years. So again, it was just a horrifically quick death. I remember turning around and getting it and thinking, oh, this is cool because it's downloads. But it just came at a time where we weren't ready for downloads because internet speeds weren't there. People didn't want to pay the premiums because you have to remember, this was like the prime time for shops like your CEX where you could go and just buy a game for 15 quid because it was secondhand plug it into your thing and the psp sections in stores were huge at the time so you could go in and buy your secondhand games whereas here you had to download them and they were all just at full retail price even if the game had been out for a year already but yeah horrifically unsuccessful and i think that that brought about the death of the psp because if you remember they released the ps vita Vita. Do you remember that, that one? That didn't get any love, did it? Yeah, Not at all. It was like that touchscreen thing. And when you look at them, they're actually brilliant little things. Like it came with touchscreen technology. It had tactile buttons on the back that was like a touchscreen as well. Again, it was all downloadable. But I think that they focused on the... down. I think if you'd have made the PSP Vita with the ability to put a game in it, it would have been it would have probably yeah. kept up with yeah. with the DS. Um, and that's kind of the period as well where all of a sudden Nintendo took over the market and they were just absolutely slamming sony but yeah really sad end to what was originally a brilliant console but they just got it wrong and i think again it was too advanced i think if you released a games console like that now but the problem is you can get all of this stuff in your phones but for kids now if you released a games console like that and you could put full retail releases in the quality that you get them on console at the tip of your fingers and you can download stuff from the internet and download them and have them all in one place i think it would probably do all right now I just think it was kind of wrong time. It, they they tried to innovate too quickly, basically. It was a shame. shame. Definitely now, because most of my catalogue is all digital now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Again, it's just easy. They do more sales now. Like you said, even now, a, an RRP digital game is still 50 to 70 quid, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But they go on sale a lot quicker now. But um, going back to what you said, yeah, because the, the original PSP was beautiful i loved it it was a really big and when i mean big i don't mean oversized but i mean it was a nice chunky console yeah big screen big really clear screen and it was like so you were playing a playstation game on a handheld you know it wasn't yeah. like a, a half of a half the game or anything yeah i i agree with you i think the digital only was too soon especially um in this country where broadband really didn't really kick off till it was probably coming in around then and probably beforehand but I would say it's only in the last kind of 10 years now so you know that broadband's really taken a foothold hasn't it yeah and that's the thing well sorry and the infrastructure of broadband being as good as it is now it's only in the last sort of even handful of years really yeah, and that's the thing. It was accessibility, I think, in reality. Again, this is what I mean. It came it came before the technology that would have facilitated it. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It came before the access that people had to the technology that would have made it a great thing. And that that's what the problem was. Uh, uh, yeah. It... Well, you've got the Xbox Series S now, haven't you? Which is digital only. It's got no digital. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that even is Even the new PlayStation. That. Yeah, and even the new PlayStation came with a digital version, didn't it? The PS5 that's came true. with digital only. So when you look at it, this is what I mean. If you'd have released it to me now, because when you think the Nintendo Switch, I think has done all right, to be fair. But that's because they're offering you what are kind of like, console level nintendo graphics because we all know that stuff on the nintendo is a little bit limper than it was on playstation that's something but that does have cards so you, you games that has got physical games now. i just don't think it's got big memory i think you can only have one or so I don't know if you have to install it on the console 
But they definitely does have physical cards you can put in. Yeah, you've got physical cards for it. I've actually got one of them as well. Um, that's only been played oh, yes, once. Oh, you do. So yeah, yeah. Here <laughs> I am tell- telling you what Switch is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I downloaded all of the games onto it, and I turned around. And I was just like, well, I can't be bothered to go out and buy the cartridges anyway. So I'll just turn around. But again, it's because sales come, and so you can turn around and put the games on it. But like I said, if somebody offered you the facility to play what was a real good Call of Duty equivalent or FIFA, I remember the FIFA games on the PSP were amazing. Yeah, they were and brilliant. you can turn it on its side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different games would require you to turn it on its side. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so versatile. It was genuinely the closest thing we've had to console gaming in our hands. It was brilliant. And Um, I think I got one because you had it. You had like Lego Star Wars on it as well. That just looked amazing. And I said, I've got to get myself one. And just something on that you said. If you remember back at the time as well, I can't remember if it's on one of our episodes we we mentioned this, but you had the whole like you said about the physical games and, and the trading trading was such a big thing then because do you remember it was electronic arts bought in that thing where um if you 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 could only play online there was a code in the game you entered and you play online if you then traded it in you would have to sp- you would have to pay 10 pounds to get another code to go online yeah so do you remember because they were losing out on everyone just trading the game they called it yeah. I, I think it was affectionately called project 10 dollars or something because that was how much you had to pay yeah, I remember that. And that got canned really quick, didn't it? Yeah. And it just goes back to saying that physical media then was just too big. Yeah, because, yeah. You know. And again, that it's about access. It's because you had such easy access to it. Whereas now it's like, you know, you go to like a, like we, I had a shop in my town that wasn't like a big, like, chain of shops like your game stops that sell like secondhand games but i had one in the in the town that i lived in which is a relatively small town that had secondhand games for every console that you could have imagined whereas now i have to travel for that so i yeah. would download things digitally because yeah. i can't be asked to go to the shop specifically to look for something that they just might not have anyway <laughs> i've got a couple of stats on it as well so go for it in the united states the, the psp had sold 10.5 million units by january 1st 2008 in Japan, during the week March 24th to, to the 30th in 2008, the PSP nearly outsold all of the other games consoles combined into, in that wow. period in Japan. Um, wow. As of December 2008, this is just before the release of the PSP Go, the PSP had sold 11 million units in Japan. And in Europe, it sold 12 million units as of May 6th, 2008. And then when you look at from 2006 to the third quarter of 2010, the PSP had sold 53 million units. When you look, though, at the end of its life cycle, because the PSP and the the, um, DS were basically in direct competition at one point. I remember having both because that's just what you did. You played Nintendo and then you had the PSP for FIFA and stuff like that. Honestly, that's all it was. You played Mario, you played Nintendo and then you had the PSP for the games that were just a little bit more fun, I guess. Uh, Nintendo. But yeah, so shipments to North America of the PSP ended in January 14. So this was after the Vita was um, released. And then sales of the device in Japan ended in 2014 as well. Production to the rest of Asia actually continued. But during its lifetime, the PSP sold 80 million fewer units than the DS. And I think that that initial period of 2004 to 2008 was bread and butter for Sony because everyone I knew at school had a PSP and no one really had DSs. Like my sister had a DS at that point and then she got a new one. So I took her old one. So it wasn't that I'd specifically got a 
DS, but everybody that I knew had a PSP. And then the release of the PSP Go just kept nobody interested because, again, it's like, was how it. could... Yeah. And that's what it was. When you look at a games console, as much as we want to turn around and say, oh, yeah, these are marketed for adults, they're not. The PSP Go and the Wii, in reality, the bread and butter market was going to be kids because no adult in reality was turning around and saying, I'm definitely, but it was an accessory in reality yeah. gaming. Yeah. That's what it was. It was like, oh, I've got a commute. I can play it for 10 minutes, but kids would be on it for hours. But when they released the digital one, kids don't have credit cards that they can go and buy games on, yeah. but they can turn around and say to their parents, oh, can you buy me that game in the shop? Because we need to go out and it's easy because there's one around the corner. But you weren't going to trust your kid with your credit card details <laughs> putting it into the PlayStation store. Were you? Just everything about it just didn't set up for the market that I think they they should have known they had but didn't realize that that's what it was that's kind of it was just yeah it was it was a misjudgment absolutely absolutely and before i move on to my next one i've got something very similar that i was going to talk about it was called on live and i got it because i got it free at a gaming exhibition i went to here in the uk and it was it, it was one of the first attempts at basically like online streaming gaming okay and so you could do it through a browser but what I was given at this conference, uh, this exhibition was like a little console that you plugged into your TV or into the internet. And yeah, it was playing games that you couldn't play on your PC because you didn't have the right PC because it was like you're playing it on a server in Switzerland or something somewhere. So you're getting the video, your you're base, do you know what I mean? It was a first attempt at streaming like Stadia or whatever. Now, ultimately it failed. It only lasted a couple of years just because again, like we're saying, the infrastructure just wasn't there for it here. The lag wasn't yeah. great. Uh, the lag was awful. But it was innovative at the time for what it tried to do. And also it had like an arena or a spectator mode. It was almost like the first edition of Twitch because you could watch oh, people okay. play the game and then decide if you wanted it. Long story short, they started going under. Sony bought them, but then basically disbanded it. Right. Using that technology and the technology of Arrival at the time, that's what goes into their PS Now. Oh, no way. But yeah, uh, but that's not what I want to say. I want to go on to, have you heard of the Nokia N-Gage? No, I haven't actually. (laughs) Look it up. It's a classic, right? And I knew someone, a guy I used to work with got one. So I actually saw this in the flesh. Back in 2003, before everyone was playing games on their smartphones, Nokia decided to combine phones and gaming. So they created the N-Gage. They expected a better reception to it, but it ended up being a total fail. The phone only managed to reach one third of its six million units in sales now if you look at it it's like a semicircle, but it's really chunky right okay it was launched at 299 dollars so in today's money that would be equivalent to 440 dollars they were hoping to pit it against the game boy advance however in the first weeks of availability in the united states it was outsold by the game boy advance by 100 to 1 can we just say as well i think that that's partly down to the fact of how shit it looks i'm looking at pictures of it have you now. seen it yeah <laughs> it's awful I, I definitely will tweet out it was really thick as well it just wasn't great so the reason it failed was one they said it wasn't good as a phone so you're looking at it you're looking at the picture now right yeah you know the long thin flat edge yeah if you wanted to make a phone call you had to put that to the side of your head so you are, <laughs> so you were holding it <laughs> yeah so they're saying it wasn't great as a phone and it wasn't great as a gaming device because the screen is tiny and it's just a little square. They played really badly and the buttons, the buttons just look so convoluted on it, don't they? 
yeah, it, it, it's, it, do you know, do you know, I don't know if you're going to relate to this and I'm hoping that someone that listens to this understands what I'm going to mean. When you're on the internet and you were younger, right? So I would have been younger as in a kid. So this probably doesn't relate to you. They used to like, do you know when like PlayStation 3 was coming out and then like there's rumors of a PlayStation 4, people used to like mock up bullshit images of like what they thought a <laughs> PS4 would look like and like a PS4 controller where it's yeah. got like 62,000 buttons and it's yeah. built like the fucking shape of like a rhombus or whatever it is where it yeah. turned out to be a rhombus in the end, sorry. <laughs> or it's built, <laughs> yeah. like a, built like a nonagon or whatever it is. That's genuinely what it looks like. That's how is poor it looks <laughs> yeah no it really is so in 2004 with the engage failing to make an impact the ceo of nokia said it would give it it would give it until 2005 to judge whether it's success success or failure uh, in january 2005 the uk sales tracking firm actually dropped the engage from its regular chart uh, comment in that the engage though still produced is of little interest to anyone Basically, and that was ultimately the end of it. They think that was just one of the biggest, big hammer blows to it. In November 2005, Nokia admitted that the N-Gage failed, selling only one third of the company's expectations. The product was discontinued from Western markets in February 2006, but will continue to be marketed in India and parts of Asia. Now, a great little website where it summed it up and it said the phone was not a failure of ideas, but of implementation. Now, this was something I'd completely forgotten. And when I read it, I remember the the guy I worked with having to do it. To change a game, you pretty much had to disassemble the phone. The game went under like the battery pack. So this was back in the day where the phone, you could have a battery pack, you know, you could change a battery. yeah. Yeah. So you had to disassemble it to change your games. And to use it as a phone, you had to hold it sideways and while it was very chunky. So... It's astonishing that, yeah, they tried to go up against the Game Boy Advance and it was outsold 100 to 1. You know, now you look at your smartphone and I was playing Call of Duty Mobile on my phone earlier. But in those days, the phones weren't really made or geared for that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. That is as well, just a like from the way in which it's designed on the front, the fact that you had to remove the fucking battery to put a new game in is an illustration again of how high the designers must have been when they were putting this thing to paper to begin with. Now, I'm pretty certain, if my memory's right, I'm pretty certain there was Tomb Raider on it and the, the guy I worked with had that and it just looked awful because you imagine playing Tomb Raider on that smaller screen. <laughs> what you said is spot on. Imagine a film in like the 80s where they were trying to make a bit of technology. Oh, can we invent a futuristic console? That is what I think it looks like. Somebody in the 80s having a futuristic idea. <laughs> Yeah, but this is the thing. It's just so piss poor small because I'm actually list. I'm actually looking at an image now of a person holding it up against their ear, and it's actually <laughs> a tiny. It's a tiny thing. Like the screen can't be more than like an inch and a half. It's tiny. It's it was crazy. Tiny. But even though it's tiny, it just looks awkward holding it for the phone call, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. The people are holding it like to the side, and then people are like parodying it, like holding like a and like an original Xbox sideways against the side <laughs> of their head. <laughs> Amazing, makes no sense. It's kind of like Frankenstein's monster mashup between a phone and a games console. Yeah, I'm so pleased Awful. I got to see one. I'm, pl- I'm even pl- more pleased that I didn't own it. But. <laughs> <laughs> But again, it just goes to show that even the, the huge companies can have fuck-ups, right? Yeah, yeah, this is true. And you know what? That, I feel like you've transitioned on perfectly because that's a sentence that leads on to my next one really, really well because this is a Google fuck-up. Wow, no, don't say that. 
it's a Google Fox. Now, sorry to everybody at Google, but this was unfortunately something that didn't go down very well. And this is Google Glass. Yeah, what happened to that? I thought we were all supposed to be wearing that. <laughs> yeah, right. So at the time, it seemed like a... Re- and I'm going to draw parallels because it kind of links to maybe like the whole metaverse thing that's going on at the minute. And maybe again, Google Glass coming a little bit before its time. So Google Glass was a brand of smart glasses um, and it was developed by Google with the mission of producing, basically putting a computer on your face. So it displays like a a heads up display in real life. So you're looking like through the glasses and it can put things in front of you. A little bit like, remember in Heavy Rain, he puts those glasses on (laughs) and he teleports to that place and he's got all of these screens in front of him. Um, A little bit like that. It was released at $1,500 for like the standard the standard version. So this is 2013. $1,500 is fucking expensive. Mind you, a pair of glasses now could be £500. Yeah, this is is true. Imagine Google are like, yeah, if you want us to thin the lenses, that's an extra 600 quid. (laughs) The anti-reflective coating, that's an extra 20 quid. Selling it with extras. Um, So there was a load of concern with it to begin with because it had like a camera that could record at all times. Um, and so people thought that it was going to break like privacy laws and that sort of thing. Because imagine if you walked into like a toilet and you're wearing your Google Glass and all of a sudden it's recording. It becomes like a bit of a predatory thing almost, which is a little bit weird. It actually received so much bad press that people that were seen to be wearing them were referred to on the internet as glass holes. <laughs> I've not heard that before. Brilliant. Um, which I thought was absolutely amazing that they got memed glass that holes. early. Yeah. Um, it was it was strange. So it had a couple of features. There was like a touchpad on the side, which was like, um, do you know, like a laptop touchpad, I guess, where you could turn around and like put commands in, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Um, which would have made you proper look like you're in the Matrix or something, wouldn't it? If you're just walking down the road, yeah, like looking yeah. at things. Um, it had a camera and it actually recorded 720p video, which I guess for 2013 That's was quite bad. good, actually. Yeah, it was yeah. all right, to be fair. And then obviously the display basically could put up like a heads up display like you would do in like, you know, modern cars, I guess, put them up on... Um, yeah on the screen don't they um there was issues with like the development of apps because google had an issue with um developers and said that they wouldn't be allowed to put ads on their apps or charge fees for any apps but that might change in the future so i feel like there was nothing that was ever going to be produced for it produced for it to begin with unless it was a google app so it was brilliant if you needed directions because you could just put your google glass up and it'd tell you which way to walk down a street but why would you pay 1500 dollars when your phone was already doing that anyway that's exactly what was running through my head is the idea itself isn't necessarily bad. It's just not needed. Yeah, yeah, not at all. And then again, it's like it, it had like voice activation. So again, even in that sense, it kind of like the practicality of like walking through a street, turning around and turning around and having like I find it annoying enough when people have got ear pods on. But at least I know that they're talking to someone because they've got something in their ears. Imagine somebody just walking past in what looked like sunglasses, randomly talking to themselves. Yeah, can, and, and imagine if you're talk, imagine if you're talking to someone and you don't even know if they're actually paying attention to you or, or reading something on on the glasses. Yeah, this is the thing. And do you know the whole privacy thing? If you walked up to and if you just walked about your daily life with a camera or with your phone up recording whatever you were looking at in your day to day activity, people would have a problem with that, whether it was justified or not. So it's going to create issues just generally. Again, it was a really strange strange thing, and I feel like though. Again, it kind of came a little bit too early because I feel like now, so there were different iterations that were released. So in 2017, Google announced the Google Glass Enterprise Edition. 
Now, what the Enterprise Edition exactly is, I'm not actually too sure. And then in it released the Enterprise Edition 2. So I think they just came with additional features. Probably contact lenses. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, very, very strange. So the Enterprise Edition 2 had like Bluetooth, um, on-head detection sensor, and an eye on screen sensor for power-saving features. So does that mean if you fall asleep with it on, it turns off because it knows that your fucking eyes are closed? Like again, it just I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. And again, the limitation of what you can use it for is to me, you know, if you're turning around and saying that it puts a visible arrow up when I'm walking down the street to tell me where I'm going, I'm not paying 1500 quid for that privilege because it's there's just a limit to what it's doing for no, me. No, you've got Google Maps on your phone and plus it's just people are already distracted and mindless enough. You put that on them and we as a civilization, I think, end. Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that because there were safety considerations. So it was reported that while wearing Google Glass, you were likely to, sorry, wearing Google Glass in the UK was likely to be banned while driving and it was to be made a fixed penalty offence following a decision fought by the Department for Transport. So in 2013, in West Virginia, there was a law that was introduced that talked about texting while driving and it would also ban using a wearable using a wearable computer with a head mounted display now of all the products <laughs> at the time i feel like that's directly aimed at google <laughs> but yeah there was a driver in california who was ticketed for driving with a monitor visible to the driver because he had a google glass okay and apparently okay, he was yeah. the first driver for find wearing it but imagine it's true like you could be turning around and, and this is what the problem is as well like when it comes to a safety concern like we have an issue already with people using phones at the wheel imagine now all of a sudden you've got a head mounted computer with a heads up display you can't even tell if someone's distracted now so whereas the police can evidently see you holding a phone to your ear or looking at it in your lap they can't tell whether or not you've got wearable tech on really bad idea just generally and you know that we i can't remember what episode where we talked about people exploiting or using technology for bad things but you know that that's where it would go yeah and It might be good in certain instances, certain professions, it might be good. But in everyday scenario, I just, again, it's just not needed. Unless I get rid of the smartphone, you won't need Google Glass, I think, or anything similar. Yeah. So one, again, one like counterpoint to that. So there were a couple of instances in which I could see really good, useful applications. In 2013, a doctor practicing in the US demonstrated the use of Google Glass during a live surgical procedure And it was like transmitted, the images from what he was looking at were transmitted to students who then could observe the operation on their computer. So for stuff like, but again, do you need the wearable technology when you could just have a camera that's doing that anyway? It just seems like such an overstretch for what's required. It's very, very strange. I don't know. Unless like it's turning around and identifying that's this artery and that's that and that's that, then, you know. Unless it just makes it a little bit more realistic because it is right over their eyes, almost like they are seeing it rather than watching it on a TV in a... Yeah, yeah, that's true also. Yeah, that's true also. Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. And again, huge company. Yeah. And can I just say, how much of a failure was it? Have you ever seen anybody wearing a Google Glass? I No, I've never seen it in in the wild. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, So, (laughs) illustration of how badly Google fucked that one up. (laughs) I'm now in the realms of food and drink, so I'm leaving technology behind. But one thing I will say, you know, there is someone out there who's got an Engage Gizmondo 3D TV and Google Glasses on the side somewhere. (laughs) And if you have, we'd love to hear from you, seriously. Yeah, my next one... I'm, uh, we're going to bring our friends back from last week. I'm going to bring Pepsi back. Oh, my God. Right. Okay. So something called Crystal Pepsi. Can it I sounds like say, a drug. Right? Yeah, it does, actually. It does. It sounds like literally a brand of something that Walter White would sell. 
Can I just say as well, there's definitely no sponsorship incoming with Pepsi because <laughs> no. we've ragged on them for two episodes in a row now. <laughs> but this again is plus for Coke. <laughs> I found this, I was almost giving up and then I found this one site and it had this brilliant line. They opened the article up by saying, the drink that made you feel like you could fly, but tasted like sadness. It was a weird thing behind this. They were saying that up till now, you know, 100 years of colas and it's brown. Everybody knew it was brown and that's what you were used to. Anyway, they're saying Crystal Pepsi was a disaster for the brand. It was certainly excited and like most failed products, it led to funny stories. It was ahead of its time and too transparent for its own good. Basically, what they wanted to do was just make a clear cola. Right, okay. But the problem is they said it tasted horrible. They said, one, it actually gave people anxiety because they didn't know what to do with a clear cola. (laughs) So they said, you know, you're giving me a cola that's traditionally you can't see through it and is brown and now it's clear. But also they said that the taste wasn't that good. Sorry, I've got it here. So it was most definitely clear when Pepsi made the product, but certainly didn't taste it because it was nothing like the original Pepsi. So one of the biggest reasons was the taste. While Pepsi had trained its consumers to associate brown with cola, it's not entirely out of the world to think that with the right kind of marketing, they could have changed consumers' minds to think that clear Pepsi would have been awesome. Yeah. But the marketing didn't explain why consumers needed clear Pepsi. <laughs> it was just marketed as something that had been thought up and now existed. No reason was given as to why we needed to be excited about it. And one of the strange facts about Crystal Pepsi is it gave consumers anxiety. People developed physical symptoms of anxiety when given the product. They didn't know how to react. A study showed that the product was too far from the ordinary and too unexpected. So ultimately, as Crystal Pepsi hit the shelves, the world was starting to avoid drinking sugary, heavy drinks anyway. So Pepsi aimed to fit in with this and give consumers a drink that would seem as a healthy option. The label on the bottle said differently. Even though the drink was caffeine-free, it was filled with 130 calories and packed with high-fructose corn syrup. So while they were trying to market it as a a healthier option, maybe because it was clear and was like water, it wasn't. Now, the final thing on this, here's where Coca-Cola entered the fray, right? And in his book, he was a former, this guy was a former Coca-Cola chief marketing officer, Sergio Zyman. He said that when they saw that they were making this, Coke moved in to destroy Crystal Pepsi by making a product intentionally meant to fail. Right. Coke then produced their own one called Tab Clear. And I remember Tab Clear. I don't remember Crystal Pepsi, but we definitely, I'm sure we got Tab Clear over here. Tab Clear was marketed as a diet drink, which were less popular than traditional colas. And the Tab brand in general was seen as an inferior product to flagships like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. With Tab Clear being placed in such close proximity to Crystal Pepsi, the image of both brands would be damaged. This is like a cola, Simon explained, but doesn't have any colour. It has all the great taste. And we said, no, Crystal Pepsi is actually a diet drink, even though it wasn't. So basically, in, in this book, he, this Sergio Simon, who was the, the former Coca-Cola chief marketing officer, said that they wanted to doom Crystal Pepsi by making a version of Coca-Cola Clear, which would intentionally fail. And <laughs> would then, because it was associated with Pepsi Clear, it would bring both of them down. Which I find fascinating is you intentionally, so Coke actually intentionally created a product doomed to fail to bring Pepsi down. (laughs) And yeah, within three or five months, Tab Clear and Crystal Pepsi were dead. Yeah. Unbelievable. Has come back a couple of times, but only on a short way. Uh, This was it. In 2016, Crystal Pepsi returned to stores due to online pleading from fans. It sold out quickly, which was supposed to be the end of it. 2017, Crystal Pepsi again read it said the second and final time Crystal Pepsi would return. 
was due to a competitor beater on YouTube posting a video of him drinking an old bottle of Crystal Pepsi and immediately throwing up. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like that's something, though, that now, because of like the internet law and like the story of it, if Pepsi released Crystal Pepsi as a product, it would be monumentally successful now, surely. Yeah. So again, what I find fascinating about that is people, again, people weren't ready for that. They they didn't know yeah. what, the fact it was giving them anxiety is really bizarre that a, a drink was giving people anxiety. But we are so conditioned into having something the same. And it yeah. failed. And, and Coke, but I love Coke coming in with their sledgehammer and every boot saying, no, we're bringing you down. We're bringing in our own rubbish shoe product to bring you down. If there's anything as petty as Coke literally being able to create a brand, an entire product, literally just to bin it because they know and they want it to fail, it's that. That is Hold amazing. On. We can get we we can still get Coke on our side, Lou. We can get Coke on our side. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you made <laughs> clear tab clear. I'm glad right. that you, I'm glad that Crystal Pepsi's dead. <laughs> I've got two other quick fire ones, but yeah, sorry Pepsi, you're back in our pod, but yeah. <laughs> Crystal Pepsi. There are a few other Pepsi versions as well. When I was looking, there's a two, another two or three at least variations of Pepsi that were doomed when it was launched. But that was the one I chose, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure that somewhere there is an alternate universe where I'm walking into a pub and saying, hi, can I have a Pepsi? And they go to me, is Coke all right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that there's a universe where that's happening. <laughs> yeah. So Pepsi, it's probably not going right for you in this one, but it is somewhere, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I'll go through my last two relatively quickly as well. So my first one is a bit of a cult classic now, and it's a collector's item. It's the DMC DeLorean. Okay, okay. Did that fail then, did it? Well, yeah, because the company originally actually went bust. They're, They're technically an entity now. For anyone that doesn't know what the DeLorean is, you'll just know it as the car from Back to the Future. It's what made the car really famous, because it actually was in production from 1981 to 1982. It was a really, really short-lived. And it was basically a rear-engined two-seater sports car, and it had gull-wing doors. <laughs> so doors that were, like, open from the top and kind of, like, floated I out. I thought it was basically. cool. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. Gullwing doors are cool. Doors that don't open in the traditional way that your doors open. Because I just think if you've got gullwing doors on your car, you've probably made it. Yeah. That, that's kind of what, what I would look at. It's like Lamborghini doors. If your doors open upwards, open up. you're yeah. definitely yeah. rich. Like. <laughs> yeah. Designed by a Giorgetto Giugario, I imagine that's how his name's pronounced, is uh, an Italian designer. Its gullwing doors basically became like the iconic imagery of that car. It had like a brushed stainless steel like paint job as well. Yeah, it was yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. strange. Yeah. I actually did see a version that was like gold brushed stainless steel and it actually looked really, really cool. So obviously it was made famous by the Back to the Future films. However, the first Back to the Future film came out when? 1980... Oh, I want to say either 1986 or 8. 1985 was the first one. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so obviously the DeLorean was in production from 81 to 82. So they had two years or three years of production yeah. and sales yeah. before it even got the publicity of the Back to the Future films. So it was target. The reason it was actually called the DMC 12, it was never referred to as the DMC 12 in any of the promotional material. It was just called the DeLorean, but it was called the DMC 12 because it was target list price was $12,000 when it was released. Um, it had a huge number of problems. Like it had like 180 horsepower, but the car weighed like two tons. So you're yeah. moving, you know, you know that, that's a lot of car to move with not a lot of horsepower. So basically with sales and production, 
DMC, by the end of 1981, had produced 7,500 cars, but only sold 300. Um, obviously, the US had fallen into recession at this period of time. Like, the mid-80s wasn't a particularly good time financially for any of the Americans. Yeah, yeah. October 81 was the highest month of sales because they sold 720. But after that, it basically completely dropped off. So they produced 7,500 and sold less than half. They actually had priced the cars for immediate clearance because the company had gone under and it had been taken over by like administrators. I think that's what we'd call it. But I think in America, it's called receivership. So there were 343 dealerships which were requested to buy six cars each to help save the company. Of the 343 dealerships that were requested to buy cars, how many do you think actually put orders in? (laughs) I'm not. How many were they again? Sorry. 343 dealerships. Uh, 50. None. <laughs> Not a single dealership. Oh, I put thought in an I was order. being harsh. I thought put I was in an order harsh. for DeLoreans. Um, so basically, dealers were already sitting on unsold inventory because there was literally hundreds sitting in warehouses. And in 82, the production at the factory was actually shut down. Um, they tried to revive sales by literally offering huge discounts to dealerships um, and offering massive warranties for like 50,000 mile or like five year warranties, which was like not heard of at the time. And the VP of DeLorean actually said, after resigning, the car could never be sold in the numbers that John DeLorean predicted. It was actually quite sad because when the film came out, um, the want for the DeLorean actually increased massively. They became huge collector's items. And even to this day, they're really expensive things to pick up. Yeah, Yeah, they are iconic. It's just a shame because if it had been produced at the same time in which it had been used in the film, it yeah. probably would have survived and DeLorean probably would have continued to have made cars. They probably would have been shitty. They probably would have gone under at some point. I think it absolutely would have survived. I think it would have. That, that, that film, what it did for that car. Yeah, know, it's, it's unbelievable yeah. because that's what you do. You look at, if you, I saw, I've seen one in real life. And I was like, oh my God, it's the Back to the Future car. You don't even yeah. look at it as yeah. a DeLorean <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it did for you. But yeah, actually quite a sad story of what was a cool concept. And, you know, it, it, it was supposed to be a sports car, but wasn't quite a sports car. And I feel yeah. like it's a story of, again, it's a little bit like, you know, smaller brands trying to get into big boy territory. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. compete with Porsche, who's got heritage of hundreds of years of car, exactly. a hundred exactly. year, a year's worth of car design. And you can't really compete with it. But yeah, DeLoreans are now collector's items anyway. So I guess the company kind of won in the end. If that makes yeah, sense. it's legacy. They probably sold think... more models in one year than they did yeah. real cars. <laughs> and I, th- I think they're coming back now. Either last year or this year, I think they are making a comeback. Yeah, well, the DeLorean actually still have their website up and running. So I imagine that afterwards, it's probably an instance, you know, where like um, the Concord name was up for like a pound or something because the brand had been so damaged. But yeah, you can go on the DeLorean website and they've still got (laughs) DeLorean is unapologetically human. Is that because humans are a little bit shit? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, what a shame, what a shame. But yeah, they've got a new model called the Alpha 5, but I imagine that this company is in no way related to the original DeLorean brand, if that makes sense. It's probably just a buyout. But yeah, quite, quite a sad story of what was an iconic product. I think so. I think so. Like I said, it's a shame. A shame. Timing is everything there. Can I do my two? Because they really are quick fire. And then you can yeah, finish on. You've got one more. I've got the Evian Waterbra. Evian. I've never <laughs> I don't know. 2005. As one of the best known brands of purified water in the world, Evian occupies an, an enviable position in the broader beverage industry. In 2005, the company decided to diversify by manufacturing a support brazier that could be filled with water. 
The garment's primary purpose was to offer women a cool alternative to traditional bras during hot months. It also featured a small pouch that could hold a bottle of mineral water, which, uh, uh, yeah, perhaps unsurprisingly, the bra failed to catch on and was discontinued after its introduction shortly. Amazing. Shortly Amazing. after its introduction, sorry. And Colgate, in 1982, that actually came up with food. So in 1982, Colgate came up with the weirdest brand extension idea. They decided to sell frozen dinners. This plan backfired probably because consumers couldn't help but think that the Colgate food tasted just like the toothpaste. No company launches a product thinking that it would decrease sales of their other products, but Colgate should have seen it coming. Their toothpaste sales plummeted after the launch of the Kitchen Entrees line. So yeah, Colgate got into frozen dinners for a, for a brief period of time. I'm just seeing Colgate beef lasagna. Yeah, yeah, that's the one you're seeing. And it is weird because, again, going back to the colas thing, we shouldn't, why shouldn't we accept that? But it's just you associate something with something. Oh, like another one I saw very quickly was um, Heinz brought out for kids a range of different coloured ketchup. Right. So you'll see there's a purple one. And people, again, people couldn't get it around their heads that that was ketchup. So it didn't catch on because it was all different colours. So, yeah, they wanted their ketchup to be red. Sometimes brand familiarity can be a destructive thing for you because you've got people so invested in the idea of what your product is, you can't change it at that point. It's like when we talked about new Coke in like the last yes, episode. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You cannot get people on board when they are so used to what it is. And it's that old mm-hmm. adage of like, just don't fix what ain't broke. You Absolutely. I'll run through my last one very quickly. I don't know if you remember this. It was in 89 was when it released and it's the Nintendo Power Glove. Oh, I, I I remember seeing it. I never saw one, but I remember reading about it, yeah. Basically, yeah, it was intended to be like the original uh, motion games console, a little bit like the Wii, and I guess ultimately it acted as the precursor to the Wii. But basically, the year's 1989, the technology is crap, and it looks like something that you would have seen on like a Doctor Who villain of the yeah. time. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of what it looks like. Or do you know like an original Star Wars film? It looks like <laughs> something that would be on like a Stormtrooper or something like that. Yeah, it had a, like a keypad panel on it. But basically, the reception was poor because it pretty much didn't work. It didn't work. It wasn't very good. Two games were released with specific features with the use of the Power Glove. Super Glove Ball, which was like a 3D puzzle game. <laughs> and Bad Street Baller, which was a beat-em-up. <laughs> Both were playable. I love that. Sorry, Super Glove Ball is like, we need to make a game that people will know they can use the Power Glove on it. What are we going to call it? Super Glove Ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It was just so forced. And they released two more games, which were called Glove Pilot. And again, on your same point, Manipulator Glove Adventure. <laughs> um, sorry, those games were announced but never released. And then there were again two another unreleased game. Basically, you could play regular games with it and you could like set controls, but I guess that'd be like playing Call of Duty with a Street Fighter controller. There's just no need. It didn't have the support, it didn't have the games, but it probably acted as the precursor for the Wii, which turned into a brilliant console. So there we go. Nintendo. We've had a go at Sony, Nintendo, Pepsi again, Google. My God. <laughs> well, N- Nintendo also did have a big fail. They had one of the biggest failures in consoles as well. It was um, the Virtual Boy, I think it was called, or the Virtual Boy. I don't remember that. And I actually got to see one at, again, an, uh, an arcade, a retro arcade exhibition. Um, it was supposed to be like a virtual system, but it wasn't. I, I think it was like early 90s or maybe it was late 80s. I can't remember, but it was... It was just awful to look at. I think people were getting headaches. It just wasn't <laughs> virtual. It was like a layered 3D. But if I remember rightly, it was all red. Right. So yeah, it 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 just didn't just didn't get off. So 
the difference being, I'm guessing that these big companies are probably allowed a misstep every now and then because yeah. I think they just think, oh, we're going to innovate, we're going to innovate, let's do something different. And they just get excited sometimes by an idea. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think that sometimes these, because you have so much success in companies like Nintendo, probably an idea that spearheads and a team thinks is brilliant moves on. And and, and maybe it's kind of, again, like a, a negative of your own success because you think this is going to be a brilliant idea without yeah. kind of looking at it. But I guess maybe they used uh, less focus groups and that sort of thing back in the 80s. <laughs> and going back to the Colgate one, you know, in hindsight, nowadays, that's probably a really clever move because you could say as a, as a toothpaste brand, we know how to look after your teeth. And this food is, you know, maybe frozen lasagna isn't the way to look after your teeth. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, you could that, that synergy is probably you could market it now as back then Colgate was toothpaste lasagna was like Findus. Yeah, I feel like as well, the only way that you would have seen it was walking into a supermarket and seeing it in a freezer. And at that point, you probably would have thought it was like some sort of parody product because you're like, yeah, how is this real? Why are they doing it? It, it, it would have been just very, very weird. But again, I think nowadays companies have the ability to take better risks because they can reach people with the marketing a bit easier through your phone. Like you can market to people directly. And so I guess you can kind of get the message out to consumers prior to anything even being released. Whereas there in the kind of 80s and 90s and even in the early 2000s, it was just hit and hope, really. Yeah, yeah. And and like the power glove you mentioned, you know, it was it is ridiculed because it basically didn't work. But they were trying to do something at the time that was innovative. Yeah, but it's just not right. I mean, now yeah. look, you've got proper virtual reality now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? One of my favourite pastimes is just watching people play virtual reality games and fall over, punching bystanders in their house. You know, because they get jumping so caught into up. TVs. <laughs> yeah, jumping into. But it's just yeah. Some of these, you think it, again, it is a shame for them. But did those failures? Is that what has led to the successes of today? Who knows? If we didn't have the engage, if we didn't have the program, yeah would we have some of the things we've got today? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's a cool point. And I do wonder now, when we look back in 10 years from now, what will we think was a fail? Like, are we only two years away from the total destruction of like the metaverse? Because it feels like crypto <laughs> and NFT is kind of dying a bit of a death at well, the minute yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking that, yeah, it's like, you know, if we were to do this in 10 years, if we're still if we're still doing this in 10 years, let's not think that there isn't going to be stuff from like the 2020s. Because like you said, yeah, crypto feels, uh, not crypto, NFTs feel like they have gone now, haven't they? It feels like yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're done. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I wonder if, yeah, in, in like the year 2040 or 2050, what the product fails of 2020 look like. So <laughs> It will be interesting. And maybe we should look back. Maybe we should turn around when, we, when we're 10 years older. So, well, God, if you're still with us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Dan's Dan's not that old. He's not really that old. He does remember the power glove, so he is quite old, but not that old. I remember reading um, about it. I remember reading <laughs> about it. Let's get that straight. Yeah, amazing caveat. Um, do let us know if you had any of the products that we've talked about today. Do let us know if you still have the products. Do you have a PSP Go or a power glove sitting in your loft or in your garage somewhere? If you do remember these things, drop us a comment. You can tweet us at Casting Views or even pop us an email at castingviewspod at gmail.com. Dan, have you got any last comments for us? No, just as I say, just if you like it, subscribe, rate, review, give us a five star where you can. I, I think we've had fun doing this. Yeah, yeah. I think this one's actually been really good. <laughs> I feel like there's much more as well, because while we were sitting here talking, I'm thinking about the 3DS and being like, oh, my God, there are so many products that were just utterly crap when they came out. We could do this for again, I think we've got like more. We've got, 
in in a few months, I reckon we could definitely come back to it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're eventually going to do a part two to the advertising marketing fails, and we'll probably do a part two to this eventually. Yeah. But that's been me, Lou, and Dan, and I will leave you with: we know there are many podcasts from which you can choose, and we thank you for listening to Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, take what we've got, cause you need it. Don't make us get.